Too smart for your trading app? Tired of brokers made for beginners? Then it's time you get serious. It's time you join Tasty Trade. The tools and tech you need for a tough market, plus low and capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more, all in one place. If you trade anywhere else, you're missing out. Join the club, genius. Visit TastyTrade.com. Tasty Trade Inc. is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA, NFA, and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your five at five. Over the finish line, the Senate passing the bipartisan debt limit deal, averting what would have been a historic U.S. default. We are live in Washington with reaction. Stocks tracking for a relief rally following the late night vote, and tech still tracking for its longest weekly win streak in three years. Also on tap today, the May jobs report and bringing us one of the big final data points before the Fed's next policy decision. Plus, a case of retail haves and have-nots as shares of Lululemon pop in the pre-market. And our week-long summer stock spotlight wraps up with a closer look at some sin stocks. Hey, it's Friday, June 2nd, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Contessa Brewer in for Frank Holland this Friday morning. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. And we're seeing a lot of green, mostly a higher session for stocks. Yesterday, we did see the Nasdaq gain another 1% for its highest close since August. Look at futures right now. You've got the S&P 500 implied opening up 16 points. The Dow Jones Industrials implied to open up 138 points in the Nasdaq would be up 56. Ahead of the open, stocks tracking for a mixed week with the NASDAQ, the lone gainer. And if these gains hold, this would be the index's sixth straight winning week, its longest weekly win streak since January 2020, before the pandemic. Let's get a check on Treasuries now and the benchmark 10-year yield hovering near its lowest level in two weeks right now. The yield 3.61%. In energy, you've got oil coming off its best day since mid-May, Higher again this morning, you've got WTI up 1.74%. Look at that WTI and Brent matching each other. Nat gas up a percent as well. All of this as investors await today's May jobs report. It's due out at 8.30 Eastern time. Today's report, one of the final major economic data points ahead of the Federal Reserve's June 14th policy decision where interest rate traders are currently forecasting the Fed pauses its historic rate hiking cycle. Economists today expect employers to have added 190,000 new jobs last month. That would be down from more than 250,000 in April. The unemployment rate expected to tick slightly higher to 3.5 percent. Let's get to Washington now and the Senate last night voting to approve the bipartisan debt limit deal and avert what could have been a catastrophic and historic U.S. default. One the Treasury says could have happened as early as June 5th, just three days from now. NBC's Bree Jackson joins me from Washington. Sigh of relief now, Bree, for the lawmakers in Washington, D.C. Absolutely. Good morning, Contessa. After months of hard-fought back-and-forth negotiations, uh, Congress did pass that measure to raise the debt ceiling. Uh, The bill will cap spending for the next two years. 
quote, threshold having been achieved, the bill is passed. Economic catastrophe averted. We've saved the country from the scourge of default. In a 63-36 vote, senators passed the bipartisan agreement to raise the debt ceiling in exchange for spending cuts. In a statement, President Biden called the move a big win for our economy and the American people, a sentiment echoed throughout his administration. It builds on another step that the president uh, secured last year when he passed the Inflation Reduction Act. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell praised the bill as an important step toward fiscal sanity. The measure also comes with criticism. Senators introduced 11 amendments, all shot down, including Senator Tim Kaine's attempt to block efforts to speed up completion of a controversial gas pipeline. Virginians don't want to have their land taken for a pipeline unless there is a thorough process. It's been scrutinized to the nth degree, and it's just been put off by an activist court. And I don't agree with that, so I don't agree with my, my friend Tim Kaine. Neither side got everything they wanted. Party leaders say compromise was essential to saving the country from a first-ever default. We're very, very happy. Default was the giant sword hanging over America's head. The bill is now headed to President Biden's desk. And President Biden is scheduled to address the nation on the debt ceiling bill later this evening. Contessa? Well, we'll check that one off our list. Bree, have a great weekend. Thank you for joining us this morning. We want to get a check on the morning's top corporate stories as well. And Silvana Hanau joins me. Silvana, great to see you. Good to see you, Contessa. Good, good Friday morning to you. All right, let's get you some headlines. J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon is reportedly planning to visit Taiwan after wrapping up his high-profile trip to China amid heightened tensions between Beijing and Washington. Now, according to reports, Dimon is set to arrive in Taiwan today as part of his trip across Asia and will meet with around 500 local employees and customers. Chinese EV startup Li Auto says it delivered more than twice as many cars in May versus a year ago, marking the third straight month that Li's deliveries topped 20,000. Now, the increase of 146 percent is, not is a notable contrast from competitors Neo and Xpeng, which both reported year-over-year -year drops in monthly deliveries. And Meta will require employees to return to the office three days a week, starting in September, joining Amazon and Google parent Alphabet in reversing course of previous remote work plans. A Meta spokesperson saying the company began notifying employees yesterday and is confident that workers can make a meaningful impact from both the office and at home, Contessa. Three right. days a week, not bad. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Savannah, thank you. <laughs> Let's get look at some futures this morning as investors wait for the monthly jobs report. You can see green across the board. We're watching to see whether the jobs report influences the Federal Reserve's next steps to tame inflation. Ahead of that, Bank of America says equity funds saw their biggest weekly inflows since the start of the year in the week ending Wednesday, attracting nearly $7.2 billion on confidence over the debt ceiling deal and the AI-fueled tech rally. Joining me now is Gene Goldman, Chief Investment Officer at Cetera. It's great to see you. Thanks for being up early with us this morning, Gene. My pleasure. Thank you, Contessa. How so are you? On the equity markets, let's just get a sense here. We've, we're waiting on this Fed decision. We've got the debt deal done. Do you think that the, uh, the, the equity markets now are looking for more valleys to come this summer? 
I, and that's a great question. I mean, I think the markets in general, they're too optimistic about the Fed rate cuts, and they're not pessimistic enough about why these rate cuts are taking place. Markets are ignoring the fact that growth is slowing down, really in favor of this whole disinflation optimism. You know, you look at the VIX. The VIX is, the VIX is at its lowest level since August of 2021. A recession is likely. We've been telling our advisors a recession is likely in the second or third quarter of this year, probably the third quarter. You look at the data we saw yesterday, ISM new orders. Terrible number, LEI. And then you think about Powell. Powell speaks and talks about Volcker all the time. But if you go back to Volcker, Volcker said, we need recessions to slow inflation. So if you expect all of this, plus earnings need to slide down a little further. We've seen earnings come down about 13% from their June high. The average recession, it takes about 20%, it's about 20% decline. So we see all this in, together. Plus, valuations are not really reflective of where interest rates and inflation are. We see a lot of headwinds, and we think the conditions are very ripe for a market correction. All right. The markets may be hoping for cuts. As I said, the expectation is that there may be a pause. What do you think is going to happen here, Gene? What, what does the Fed need to do at this point to still try to control inflation, slow the economy without sending us off a cliff? I think the Fed needs to pray a lot that the disinflation trends are working. I, we've been very critical of the Fed for the last couple of years, but I think the Fed is finally going to get it right. You're seeing inflation slow down, asking rent, you're seeing commodity prices. They're being helped by disinflation, but I think the Fed finally gets it right. And I think more importantly, the Fed is finally talking the markets to where the Fed expects rates to be. You think of the dot plot, end of the year, they're saying five and an eighth. The markets for the longest time have said the year end would be at four to four and a half. Now the implied 2023, end of this year for 2023, is at 505. So the markets are finally catching up to the Fed. The Fed is guiding. One thing that worries me, though, is that the Fed continues to say we're very data dependent, but they've already penciled out saying we are going to pause at the June meeting. Mm -hmm. And let's just hope this Jolt's report, I mean, that Jolt's, the payroll report comes in lower than expected, which we think it will, because, again, this will help drive the Fed's decision. 30 seconds left. I would like to hear what your favorite sectors are leading into summer. Oh, great, 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 great question. So three favorite sectors. Number one, I think this is probably the most used, most over overestimated sector, technology. We like technology still. We've been buyers of technology for the last 12 months. You know, technology protects margins, streamlining businesses. Earnings growth is expected to jump 15% next year after falling 16% this year. And the timing is perfect. Think about this. You've got the pandemic-related semiconductor glut is being worked through, and AI needs semiconductors. Technology is feeling AI fever. Number two, industrials, agriculture and defense spending, weaker dollar. Number three, financials. We still like financials. Rate hike cycle is ending. Capital markets are starting to open up a little bit. You're seeing some good, easy comps. Recession likely proved to be mild. All this together says financials could be an attractive opportunity. Technology, industrials, and financials. Gene Goldman, thank you so much. Appreciate the perspective. Thank you, Condessa. A lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word investors have to know today. First, shares of Lululemon popping in the pre-market in what appears to be a case of retail haves and have-nots. Dana Telsey is here with her take and second-half retail playbook. Plus, ahead of today's jobs report, a closer look at one sector struggling to keep its hiring momentum alive. And later, like dice at a craps table, our summer stock spotlight series rolls on with a look at casino stocks. Will you bet on that? A very busy hour ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Schwab Trading is now powered by Ameritrade. 
to give you a new, elevated trading experience tailor-made for trader minds. Go deeper with Thinkorswim, the powerful, award-winning trading platforms now at Schwab. Unlock support from the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders who live and breathe trading like you do. And sharpen your skills with an expanding library of online education crafted just for traders. All designed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good Friday morning, everyone. Coming up on quarter past the hour. Time for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning today. It's all about software. MongoDB shares soaring after the database company crushed earnings and forecast expectations with the most customers signing up for its platform in more than two years. During the quarter, the company also extended its partnership with Alibaba through 2027. PagerDuty doesn't share the same rosy outlook, though, reducing its guidance for the fiscal year over macroeconomic concerns. The company provides incident management software, and it posted revenue growth of 21 percent, but it says it has started to see a slowdown in recent months. Shares down there nearly 12 percent. And Sentinel One shares cratering after the security firm missed earnings expectations and slashed its annual guidance amid plans for layoffs. Look at the shares down 37 percent. Company executives blame a slowdown in business spending as a key driver for the weakness in deal sizes and sales cycles. Sentinel One says it's taking steps to improve cost structure and ensure its path to profitability. That's not reflected in the shares, though. The CEO of Sentinel One will be on Squawk Box later this morning. Ahead on Worldwide Exchange, your Friday morning call sheet and a check on this morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks you likely own. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, giving you even more specialized support than ever before. Like access to the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders ready to tackle anything from the most complex trading questions to a simple strategy gut check. Need assistance? No problem. Get 24-7 professional answers and live help and access support by phone, email, and in-platform chat. That's how Schwab is here for you, to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. Good Friday morning, everybody. Let's get to the morning call sheet. We're checking a few of the morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks you just might own. We just hit this stock. We're going to hit this stock with Dana Telsey, Dollar General. Piper Sandler is reducing its rating and price target. You can see shares off by half a percent in the extended trade, moving it from overweight to neutral and from $275 to $178 per share. Piper Sandler says sales and comp weakness and concerns that guidance have not been reduced enough. Okay, so then you have XL Energy facing two downgrades this morning from J.P. Morgan and Wolf Research. There you're seeing shares uh, unchanged in the extended trade. J.P. Morgan Chase lowering its rating and price target with Wolf lowering its rating. Both say regulatory risks tied to a case over electric rates in Minnesota are behind that. 
Okay, and one more now. Let's uh, look at Evercore raising its price target for Microsoft, growing from $337 to $400 per share. Evercore says, what else? Artificial intelligence. The, the infusion of AI across the tech giant's product portfolio presents a strong long-term opportunity, and there you're seeing shares up almost half a percent. And let's get a check on the morning's other headlines outside of the markets and your money. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Contessa. Good morning. We start with disgraced comedian Bill Cosby, who's facing a new lawsuit by a woman who says he drugged and raped her in 1969. A spokesperson for Cosby has denied the allegations, claiming there are several inconsistencies in her statements. More than 50 women have accused Cosby of drugging and sexually assaulting them, but he has always denied the charges. He spent three years in prison for aggravated and decent assault before a judge overturned that verdict. Yesterday was the first day of hurricane season, and with it came some wicked weather across the South. Flooding sunk major highways in Texas, fording roadside rescues. The system is brewing in the Gulf of Mexico as other states like Florida prepare for more storms today. And a new winner from Virginia has officially been crowned at the 95th Scripps National Spelling Bee. P-H-I-L-E, Samophile. That is correct. That was eighth grader Dev Shaw's B-clenching word. He took home the $50,000 prize and a standing ovation. Contessa, I've never even heard of that word. I uh, had to look it up because, of course, vocabulary is important. Even for those uh, in the B, it means a plant or animal that prefers or thrives in sandy areas. Samophile is the word there that we're all going to be tested on later down the road. You know what? For, for anybody who does news presenting, pronunciation is the most important thing. So we just put spelling way back here somewhere. Like, it doesn't matter how it's spelled as long as you can pronounce it. And in my case, I say if you say it with authority, Francis, then everything else is... I am right there with you. I just blaze right by it. Say it quickly with authority. No one will ever know, right? Francis, have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Lululemon shares popping in the pre-market after a solid top and bottom line beat for its most recent quarter. The apparel maker is raising its full-year guidance And company CEO Calvin McDonald says Lulu has seen no changes in customer shopping habits, despite the uncertain economic outlook. Lululemon's pre-market rise echoes what investors saw yesterday with Nordstrom shares after the department store noted its high-end consumer remains, and this is a quote here, pretty resilient with activewear, one of the top sellers. A stark contrast from a name like Dollar General shares. Look at how they just plummeted to a fresh 52-week low yesterday. In the extended trade, not off so much, a tenth of a percent. But they had a weak earnings report. Key shopper segment saying that they're just pulling back on spending in a significant way. And we're really looking at a retail sector that's a case study in haves and have-nots. Joining me now is Telsey Advisory Group CEO Dana Telsey. It's great to have you here this morning. When you're looking at the difference between Lululemon and Nordstrom and Dollar General, is there a theme that emerges for retail about who's getting the customers shopping and who's not? Yes, there is a theme emerging about that. First, as you mentioned, income levels. The lower income, even to middle income consumer, is more pressured in terms of their spending. Given high inflation, what's happening with food prices, they're focused on essentials. You look at the higher income spenders out there, and even though in many instances you have a moderation, 
Lululemon's numbers, as you mentioned, were impressive yesterday, with 30% traffic gains, product innovation driving demand, and even a hybrid work model allowing for more casual workwear. They're a destination for active and for casual at the same time. Yeah, I thought that that was really interesting that Nordstrom commented that active active wear was the strongest category. So it looks like even though we're emerging from pandemic work from home yoga pants, that still active wear is maybe a trend that's here to stay. It's front and center. And when you take a look at the active wear, you have so many more occasions that you're wearing it for. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind that Nordstrom also said one of the weakest areas was luxury. And that's what I'm saying in terms of that moderation that you're seeing. We see advanced auto parts, Dollar General, Target, Capri Holdings, Kohl's, Macy's, Victoria's Secret, all trading at lows not seen since XXX. Mm-hmm. Where do you think it's a good opportunity for investors to go in and take advantage of those trading at historic level lows? When you think about companies that are weak or have had issues lately, it's interesting with Macy's what's happening. Because on the Macy's side, yes, it, is, it has been weak, but their guidance almost is taking into account the conservatism that they've built in. And with inventory levels staying lean, And the ability for them, particularly with such clean inventories, to manage their margins, it seems like that's one of the ones where, as we go through the year, they could see successive improvement, and especially if tourism comes back. I saw this era yesterday in a a note from a company that I cover. They called it a cost-of-living crisis. And that, that what you're seeing at Dollar General, if they're seeing that consumables, what you're eating, is where there's still strength and everything else that's discretionary is falling to the side. Do you anticipate that turning around this summer or are, we, are you still looking in retail that there's going to be some let's sit back and wait and see what happens? I think it's still going to be for that lower income consumer. They're going to be a much more discerning spender even during the summer because they have to make their dollar stretch further. And certainly we're having lower gas prices, but you still have lower food prices and still cost of inflation is a headwind with their daily pocketbook. And that's why you're seeing some of the off pricers like the TJXs and like the Rosses and Burlingtons have opportunity. Transportation, supply chain, uh, inventory, are those issues resolving? Yes, resolving and a tailwind to margins. And when you think about the back half, the tailwind is going to be lower cotton prices. Dana Telzi, thank you. Have a great weekend. You too. Straight ahead, another key executive departure at Twitter and one that could make the job of the new CEO so much harder, especially when it comes to getting advertisers back. If you haven't already, follow the podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Spotify, Apple, or other podcast apps. We're back right after this. We're approaching half past the hour in New York and just getting started on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's on deck. Done deal. The Senate signing off on the debt ceiling agreement with President Biden set to address the nation on the conclusion of this D.C. drama. Investors cheering the end of that debt saga. Futures pointing higher ahead of the open as the Dow fights to avoid its third straight week of losses. Markets also gearing up today for the big jobs report. We're talking to the founder of manufacturing company on the hurdles that he's facing when it comes to staffing up and beyond. It's Friday, June 2nd. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. 
Welcome back, everybody. I'm Contessa Brewer in this morning for Frank Holland. Let's pick up the half hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after a mostly higher session for stocks yesterday that saw the Nasdaq gain another 1% for its highest close since August. This morning, we're looking at green across the board. The S&P 500 looks like it's shaping up to open 22 points higher. The Dow Jones Industrials 165 points higher and the Nasdaq up 86 points. Turning to the bond market now as investors digest the conclusion of, oh, this political back and forth over the debt limit. And the yields right now, as you can see, are higher. Let's look at the 10-year, up 3.618% for the yield. Let's also hit oil. It's tumbled roughly 3.5% so far this week. And right now you're looking at WTI up 1.9%, Brent up 1.8%, and Nat Gas up a percent. A check in the action in Asia and the early trade in Europe. And Jamana Bersetchi is standing by in our London newsroom. Hello, Jamana. Hi, good morning. Well, there is a lot of green on the board for this final trading day of the week. Though for the week as a whole, though, a lot of these indices are still going to end in negative territory. Today's sentiment is pretty positive. A lot of broad gains and all of the indices, the FTSE 100 up about 1%. And here we're seeing a bit of a balance in miners, commodities names. Zetradax in Germany up almost 1.1%. And remember, we're keeping a close eye on the inflation data that has come out from the Eurozone this week, surprising to the downside. So that actually has been a positive development for a lot of these Euro economies. Cacarant in France also up 1.3%, seeing a balance there in luxury. Switching over to Asian markets, the picture was also quite positive overnight as well. Special attention to the Nikkei in Japan. You can see it is up 1.2%. It is actually at at 32-year high. So more than three decades ago was the last time that we were at this level, seeing a, a bit of a jump in electronics, chip makers, of course. And today, one name that we're looking at is SoftBank. Hang Seng, also very strong session overnight, up 730 points, four percentage points higher. And then the Shanghai Composite also ending the week in positive territory as well. And speaking of SoftBank, Giovanna, we saw a rare pop for the stock overnight. Yes, that's right. So SoftBank shares did trade higher to the tune of about 4.3% uh, as the AI chip frenzy pushes tech and artificial intelligence stocks higher. The Japanese giant, which has seen the values of its tech portfolio plunge recently, has seen an uptick of about 17% this week alone. Mm. And don't forget, SoftBank will be IPOing its chip designer unit, ARM, later this year. There's been a lot of speculation as to where exactly they're going to do that listing. Jermana Basechi from London, thank you. Let's go to Washington now and the United States narrowly avoiding a default. Late last night, the Senate passed the House-approved bill to suspend the ceiling on the debt limit until January 2025, of course, bypassing the next presidential election. The vote was 63 to 36 in the Senate, and President Biden is expected to sign it into law later today. He has scheduled a nationwide address this evening. All that political drama and fiscal wrangling to avoid in three days a historic first ever sovereign debt default. After the Senate voted to push that bill through, Moody's released a statement saying the resolution reflects the United States' perfect AAA credit rating. Moody suggests there's no reason to downgrade. Let's get a check on the morning's top stories now. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, nice to see you. Hey, Contessa, good to see you. All right, so Twitter's top content moderation and safety executive is leaving the social platform. Ella Irwing revealing she has resigned from the position, which involved overseeing Twitter's policies on harassment, hate speech, and violent content. 
The company has faced criticism for ease protections against harmful content since Elon Musk bought it last year. Now, Irwin's departure also comes as Twitter struggles to keep advertisers as brands raise worries around questionable content. Triumph Fund Management, the activist investor known for shaking up some of the biggest companies, is facing a shakeup of its own. According to reports, co-founder and chief investment officer Ed Garden is stepping down. The fund, led by Garden's father-in-law, Nelson Peltz, is tapping Peltz's son, Matt, as well as Josh Frank, to become co-chief investment officers. And the federal judge overseeing Disney's lawsuit against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has recused himself. The judge citing a potential conflict because a family member owns stock in the entertainment company. DeSantis had sought to have the judge, who had ruled against the governor several times before, removed from the case, arguing that he could not be impartial given comments in two previous unrelated cases. Contessa. Savannah so Hanau, thank you very much. Appreciate it. First Friday in June, and investors are watching for the May employment report due out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. And today's report is one of the final major economic data points ahead of the Federal Reserve's June 14th policy decision, where interest rate traders are currently forecasting that the Fed pauses its historic rate hiking cycle. Economists today expect employers to have added 190,000 new jobs last month, down from more than 250,000 in April, the unemployment rate expected to tick slightly higher to 3.5%. While some sectors like healthcare and hospitality have been leading the job gains year to date, others are mixed at best, like manufacturing, adding a little more than 11,000 net new jobs last month after losing some 5,000 in the two months prior. Joining me now is Rob Boson, Gray Duck Outdoor founder and owner. Rob, it's great to see you this morning. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So I'm just curious, when you're looking at the job outlook and, and manufacturing, what's factoring into whether you hire or not, whether you lay off or not, whether you can expand and how you're managing some of the headwinds? Well, we when, when we're looking at what we can do to hire, what we're looking at really is the, the health of our retailers and the health of our outfitters. And so when we're Looking at next year, we're really waiting to see what this summer looks like. And if this summer goes well, then dealers will have sold through their current inventory and they'll be looking to order for next year. Much of them, uh, many of them are still working through a lot of the, I'll call it the COVID hangover. So there's still a lot of inventory that needs to be worked through. So um, we're kind of in a waiting stage. We're hoping that we can um, add some more jobs this fall, but we'll see what we're going to really see how things pan out. And if the consumer stays strong through the summer, we're, we're optimistic about next year. Who are some of your more important retailers? We sell mostly to independent specialty retailers, your small mom and pop businesses throughout the country. We're, we're a Midwest company, so we specialize mostly in the upper Midwest. So if those small businesses are doing well, then we're going to do well. Have they been able to navigate supply chain issues and, and inflationary issues better, you think, than some of the big chain retailers? In, in some ways, I think they have. They, they, most of the retailers that are around now have been around for a, a long time. Most of those small businesses survived even the 2008 financial crisis. And so they learned from that. They've um, sized, sized down appropriately and, and aggressively when they've needed to. And they have learned to navigate those headwinds pretty well. And so I'm pretty optimistic about those smaller retailers being able to recover more quickly from 
this hangover than um, some of the larger retailers had had been able to so far. Rob, I understand that you uh, have your paddle boards made in in China. How much are the trade tensions with China, you know, spreading COVID numbers and and whether China is going to deal with some big outbreaks like the United States dealt with three years ago? How much does that factor into the way you're trying to manage your own business? Yeah, so one of the things that we are doing is we are um, we added a new product line. We added canoes to our lineup over the last um, 18 to 24 months. And that is um, an area where we'll continue to expand. So we're going to try to hedge a little bit against some of the exposure that we've got on the, on the paddleboard side of the business. Uh, in terms of our relationships with uh, our factories in, in China, they remain good, but, but it's one of those things where we want to make sure that we um, are being smart about our business in the long term and realizing that there are there are risks that we didn't see two or three years ago that exist today. Have you toyed with the idea of looking around for another place to manufacture your products? Uh, yeah, we have. I mean, it's always something that's on our mind. It's something we evaluate. It's one of those things where at this point we are we don't have any current plans to do that, but we are evaluate. We, we constantly evaluate our sourcing in terms of where we're getting our raw materials, where we're getting our, our production done, and uh, we'll continue to expand our, our U.S. manufacturing um, over the coming years in terms of the canoe side of our business. Well, I hope for you that it's a great summer out on the water. Rob Boson, thank you for joining us. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Coming up, the conclusion of our week-long summer stock spotlight series and the best bang-for-your-buck gambling names. At least the next guest says so. You can bet on them. First, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories. K-pop, not just putting on a show for music lovers, shares of South Korea's four biggest K-pop agencies have jumped 33% this year, double the rise by the country's benchmark Cosby index. Billy Joel is moving out, at least out of Madison Square Garden. The famed performer announcing he will end his record-breaking residency at the venue after 150 shows with the first of the final 10 shows set to take place in October. And in celebration of National Donut Day, chain restaurants across the country, including, of course, Dunkin' Donuts, Krispy Kreme, are giving away free donuts with several discount specials running through the weekend for an opportunity to you do not want to miss. I just made that up. I didn't deliver it quite as well as I might have. (laughs) Worldwide Exchange is back in a minute. People are really going to see movies in premium large format screens. Initially, we thought that was a lot of just pent up demand for um, going back to the movies post pandemic. Um, But this has been a lasting trend and it's really increased the box office in a way that, um, you know, couldn't happen uh, otherwise. You know, the movie theaters don't have to raise prices. Demand for live entertainment products is robust across the board. Sports ratings are outperforming everything else in the pay TV bundle. Live music is hot. And things like Formula One, WWE, uh, people are excited to be out and about. Underlying demand for leisure travel has remained very robust. You know, we we obviously just heard from all of the major online travel booking sites, uh, first quarter earnings in the last few weeks. And that was really the main takeaway. Just a slice of what we've heard from top analysts in our summer stock spotlight series 
highlighting some of the best ideas from the sectors, ranging from movies and streaming to travel experiences and live entertainment. And nobody even mentioned Taylor Swift in that. Today, we focus on how lucky am I? Today, we're focusing on gaming. I'm told it's a total coincidence that here I am. And yes, we're focusing on casinos, not just traditional casinos, but also online and sports betting. Last month, the American Gaming Association reported commercial gaming revenue in this country hit $16.6 billion in the first quarter, the eighth straight record-breaking quarter. Consumers bet more than $31 billion on sports, with growth driven by new legal markets in Kansas and Massachusetts and Ohio. We want to get more on those trends and which companies are leading the way. Bernie McTiernan is senior analyst covering Internet and consumer technology at Needham, which in this case means Internet gambling. Uh, Bernie, great to see you this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You have two names that we don't spend a lot of time on. They don't get a lot of attention on CNBC and one name that hogs all of the spotlight. I want to start with the B2C guys. You're picking Genius, which is a, a data provider. They have a contract with the NFL, I know. And I want to hear why you like Genius as one of your favorite stock picks. Yeah, no, certainly. Genius was our top pick and still is um, entering the year. And so they're a data provider and it's a pick and shovel way of playing the industry. And it's in a duopoly with Sport Radar. So think of it almost like a, a TV broadcaster where there's exclusive rights with the leagues and then they repackage those. And instead of selling them to cable providers, they're selling them to those rights to, to sports league or to, to the sports betting operators. And Genius has the NFL contract, they have the EPL contract. We think those are two of the most important contracts in the world. And while the company's investing a lot in data rights, they actually have a lot of financial discipline. We have EBITDA ramping from $15 million last year to $50 million this year, $89 million in 2024. Um, but one of the, the interesting things about Genius that's not just them being a data provider is actually them embracing tech and generative AI. And one of the things that they're doing with their second spectrum invest or with their ownership of second spectrum is investing in this. It's video to 3D modeling. And I really think it could be like the next generation of broadcasting where they're they um, film the game, yeah. um, have cameras all over the stadium. And then, and then take that and put into a 3D model that then that's how the consumer interacts with the game. So if you're watching the NBA finals last night, for example, and you're seeing Nikola Jokic making all these great passes and you want to see his point of view, well, Genius's technology with Second Spectrum is going to allow you to do that. So I think at some point, you know, this year, next year, that's how you'll be able to watch games either um, through uh, traditional broadcasters or through streaming operators um, or through sports better. So I think it's a really interesting way of playing not only, you know, riding the wave of sports betting sure. growth, especially in the U.S., but benefiting from uh, this transition of broadcasting well, as well. The, the year-to-date chart looks good. I just want to point out in the extended trade, those shares are off by 7.5%. All right, let's move on to Rush Street Interactive, uh, which I just sat with Richard Schwartz at a, a sports gaming conference, and he told me he's very insistent that Rush Street Interactive is making real gains in iGaming, that is online casino games, which really are only offered in, I think, six states right now as it stands. Why do you like RSI? Yeah, we like RSI because they're, out, as you said, it's iCasino, it's iGaming. Um, an interesting thing is that um, the focus of the sports betting industry, um, digital sports betting industry, has been on customer acquisition costs. 
Um, one of the things that's interesting about Rush Street is that they're actually going after a different customer. So while the you know traditional you know call it forty year old male is the classic um, sports betting demographic, it's really the forty five or fifty year old female or much more mixed between male and female that Rush Street is going after. And that's an interesting opportunity where you're just going after a different uh, different uh, consumer set. <clears throat> and so the, what we think will be a major catalyst to get Rush Street stock to really work higher from here is iGaming legislation. We've been We're talking gonna, about the Midwest corridor for quite some time, like Illinois, for example. Bernie, I yeah. want to fit in um, DraftKings here. Uh, it's basically a duopoly in the United States. 80% of the market share belongs to FanDuel and DraftKings right now. You've adopted a lot of the terminology from DraftKings vintage and and uh, what is it, contribution, profit, positive. But basically, they're saying in states where they've operated the longest, they're already making money. What do you like about this stock? Up, by the way, year to date, look at this, 117%. Yeah, and it's what you're seeing in that chart is the narrative shifting in that last year we were talking about, can this company survive and, and or where they run out of cash? Now the debate has focused because of this vintage data they're providing on a state-by-state -state basis is what could 2025 EBITDA be worth $600 million of EBITDA consensus continues to come up closer to us. We think EBITDA is going to ramp from $600 million to $1.2 to $1.8 billion. Um, and, and that's why we think the stock is so attractive because the U.S. sports betting market is getting more mature. They've been telling us the whole time that as states mature, they should be able to get more profitable. Um, and that's what we're seeing come through. Bernie McTiernan, great to see you. Thank you for your time and your perspective. Thank you. Ahead, the one word every investor needs to know today, plus the investment opportunity our next guest says, being overlooked as investors jump on the AI buzz bandwagon. If you haven't already, follow the podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Apple and Spotify and whatever podcast app you use. We'll be right back. There you're seeing a live look from around the world thanks to modern technology. London, Hong Kong, New York, and all important Washington, D.C., where, hey, a bipartisan deal can get done, averting historic default, keeping the credit rating for the United States right where it was. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for what we like to call your WEX wrap-up. Six stories before the opening bell. The Senate passing the bill to end the debt ceiling standoff and avoid default. The legislation now heads to President Biden for his signature. Here's the good news. We probably don't have to deal with this again until January of 2025. J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon apparently planning to visit Taiwan today. According to reports, Dimon will meet with about 500 JPM employees and customers after wrapping up his high-profile trip to China. Also in Asia, SoftBank shares jumping amid a frenzy for semiconductor and AI-related stocks. Look at that, up four and a third percent in the extended overnight trade. Shares have risen 17 percent since last week's close ahead of the company's planned IPO for chip designer Arm. Journalists across the United States are planning to walk off their jobs next week at roughly two dozen newsrooms run by newspaper chain Gannett, protesting the publication's leadership and cost-cutting measures. Five Below shares moving higher despite a cut to the company's earnings and sales outlook for the year. You can see shares up 5.7%. The discount retailer says it remains focused on playing defense to drive an increase in market share. And Meta will require employees to return to the office three days a week, wah, 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 starting in September. 
Meta says it began notifying employees yesterday of the new policy about this new hybrid work model. I would just say to Meta employees, it's not as bad as you fear. Go back, you can get a little FaceTime with the boss. Let's gear up for the trading day ahead. Investors await the big monthly jobs report where we'll get some data on non-farm payrolls, average hourly earnings, labor participation, and the unemployment rate. Also on tap today, the release of bank balance sheets after the close at 4.15 p.m. Eastern time. A final check on the markets ahead of that jobs report and futures we've seen. Green across the board. You're looking at the Dow Jones Industrials, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ, all indicated to open higher on the day. Joining me now is Simeon Hyman, Global Investment Strategist at ProShares Advisor. Do you think that's relief over the debt ceiling deal being done? Is it optimism that we're going to see the Fed pausing in its historic rate hiking cycle? What's giving investors some, a little more confidence? We've had two big reliefs. One that's been sort of coming incrementally. The bank thing, whatever we want to call the bank thing, has now sort of become, yeah, it's a profitability headwind for the sector, but not a thing that's going to bring down the economy. And yes, the debt ceiling was bringing volatility. So those are two things that are bringing relief. But we still have uncertainty. Earlier this week, we had a very weak ISM manufacturing report. My guess is today we'll get a pretty decent employment number. So there's definitely volatility in terms of the economic outlook. Uh, we just got a note from Bank of America that said weekly flows last week into tech um, were more than $8 billion. Really remarkable. What is it about technology right now? Is it just the buzz over AI or is there some real tailwind to the sector? Well, folks are looking appropriately, I think, to the equity market for growth. Now, the question of what you pay for that is an important question. What's interesting about what's transpired, not just over the last few weeks, but over the last decade or so, is that volatility has picked up in the bond market and dropped in the equity market. So, yeah, everybody's thinking about reallocating. But remember that equities are less risky than they used to be, bonds riskier than they used to be. But you got to buy stocks that grow something, and that's why folks are looking to tech. All right, so what would be your word of the day? This is Friday. It's all important for the WEX word of the day. What's yours? Word of the day is dividends. In this AI-driven tech thing that's brought the market up uh, over the course of the last few months, dividends have been left behind. But specifically, from our perspective, we focus on dividend growth. The S&P 500 dividend aristocrats are trading at a 15% discount to the market and 50% discount to tech. And those are also stocks that you can hold through volatility because you're getting something back for them. Absolutely. And it's the growth of the dividends that's particularly important because, after all, if you buy a stock that's not growing its earnings, not growing its cash flows, not growing its dividends, kind of looks like a bond. Simeon Hyman, I really appreciate that you came in, that you're sitting with me here this morning. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's get a check now on the futures. Once again, as we head into our day ahead and jobs report and all important weekend to come, if you're seeing green across the board, that does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. And Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Too smart for your trading app? Tired of brokers made for beginners? Then it's time you get serious. It's time you join Tasty Trade, the tools and tech you need for a tough market, plus low and capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more, all in one place. If you trade anywhere else, you're missing out. Join the club, genius. Visit TastyTrade.com.
Tasty Trade Inc. is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA, NFA, and SIPC.